0: Welcome to Conversation Mill. My name is Rebecca Dale and I am the host of the show. I have a passion for sharing how the creation of thriving local economies benefits us all. I'm fascinated by how we come together to form our communities on a macro and micro scale, and how our histories and stories, when shared, can not only motivate and inspire, but can facilitate understanding. As our communities, large and small, bring back a more progressive Main Street, individuals are stepping out to pursue their passions and local leaders are pushing back against corporate greed. It's time to engage these community leaders and small business owners in conversation. What are the driving forces behind their courage and success? And how can we continue to build communities that embrace diversity, support the local economy, and create a healthy ecosystem for the culture at large. Join us now in conversation. We have to change our habits around recycling. Most of us, and maybe not most of us, but some of us think we know recycling, or we moderately understand the basic concepts of recycling, or maybe we don't think about it at all. But our landfills are overflowing. What we think is being recycled is often being sent to the landfill after we recycle it. Zeb helps us understand some of the challenges around recycling and what his company is doing as a solution to glass recycling in the upstate of South Carolina. We touch on plastic recycling during this conversation but I wanted to learn more and dig in a little bit, so I did some research and I wrote a short essay about some recent plastic recycling reports. You can access this essay and other content from previous episodes at conversationmill.substack.com. When you join the conversation on Substack, you help support the podcast and my efforts to bring you more fascinating guests like Zeb Parsons and his company, Bricolage Dynamics. Join Zeb and I now as we talk about the business of recycling.
1: My company is bricolage Dynamics, and we're a recycling innovation company uh, whose current project is turning glass waste into a sand resource, and we operate out of Pickens, South Carolina.
0: What got you interested in doing this?
1: Uh, I wrote a paper on the concept of bricolage which is kind of like the loose, fast and loose definition is more like taking the odds and ends of things and kind of assembling them in a way that restores value. Mm. So you can do it with lyrics and a song, you can do it with sculptures. And I just naturally thought about waste and recycling in the South. So living in Ireland, took this, I was getting my master's degree, wrote this paper, um, and then just kind of sat on it for a few years, workshopped it a little bit. And then, you know, one thing led to another, got really fed up working for people. Mm-hmm. And then moved back to this area and decided it's going to launch into it.
0: What was your master's in?
1: Uh, supply chain management with an emphasis in um, supply chain sustainability.
0: Okay. Where did your interest in sustainability and recycling come from?
1: I guess a few different areas. Part of just the sustainability aspect was growing up around here, I have a really strong appreciation for the outdoors. And so for mm-hmm. me, those things kind of go hand in hand, like a preservation aspect. Yeah. Um. Also, growing up in Pickens, we didn't have like regular trash service. So we we were maybe five miles down the road from the county landfill. And so uh, I've seen my my life growing up started as this massive ravine. And then over mm. 30 years, now it's a mountain.
0: <laughs> wow. And
1: um, that's just always been a pretty stark reminder of, you know, humans are throwing away a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. And we don't really have any you know, good solution for that. So I think those things were kind of part of it. There's also a practical aspect of um, working for yourself, trying to get into an industry that had mm. – uh, a need yeah. and some longevity to it. And so from a practical standpoint, I think that that also made sense.
0: Uh, You mentioned you were studying in Ireland. Mm. What what were you like focused on when you were over there?
1: That was that was the supply chain management master's. Mm. Applied. I was doing an internship here at Bosch and really didn't care for it all that much, which is mm. a good thing, I think, in your 20s. You know, finding out what you don't like is also really valuable. Yeah. And so I decided to... um I knew I was going to get a master's degree, but I just wanted to, you know, go a little bit further. So, um, yeah, applied, lived in Dublin for just over uh, a year, uh-huh. um, did an accelerated master's, and then uh, moved to Charleston.
0: So, take us through your the the business model that became Brickalage Dynamics.
1: Yeah, I guess initially um, the whole thing was about plastic. Mm-hmm. I really, you know, which I still think is a big issue, but I've really simplified my solutions. But it was all about. Plastic. And I think looking into the market, commercial recycling is typically what everybody gets into. Residential is a lot harder. And mm-hmm. it's plus it's been under the control of municipalities forever. So that was like, you know, it was definitely, a in my mind, a taller mountain to conquer. But it was like, if you can get this down, you're going to be fairly standalone um, uh-huh. in the market. And so, you know, just trying to workshop solutions around that. And then, you know, my supply chain background is like everything in the recycling industry is so disjointed between suppliers, processors, and producers. It was like, you know, let's try and make this more local, condense it, Mm -hmm. vertically integrate it so it's all under one roof. That way you can show people what's going on. And so that's kind of where it came from. And then just putting that model together, like I Mm -hmm. said, it was all based on plastic until I moved to Greenville. And then maybe about two months out, it was like, I think glass is probably going to be the material for for Greenville because they didn't have glass recycling. So,
0: if you were going to do plastic, was it the same? Well, I guess maybe what I should ask you first is, can you take us through exactly what you do? So you sure pick up the glass and then take us through that process?
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty unique, but it's fairly simple. I mean, we contract directly with households and businesses. Uh, operate our own like front end logistics. Pick up um, we pick up glass from. These households and businesses around the area um transport the we we have a holding facility over and uh off of points highway where we kind of store the glass and then once a week we take it over to pickens mm-hmm. um where we have a 2500 square foot facility and we pulverize it sift it and then store it uh store the sand and um an aggregate and then we ship that out from there so it's typically in the recycling industry you know, we're, we're, we're pretty much two separate businesses. The front end logistics business usually across the country is just a separate business that pickup. And then the processing side is usually a totally separate business. And so we do it all, uh, in, in house.
0: And so if you were going to do that with plastic, if that was your first concept, what were you doing with the plastic?
1: So I think getting it wouldn't have been hard. So that was the challenge. What we're going to do with it. I looked a lot into, um, plastic paralysis. So are you familiar with that? Yeah talked to some companies that, you know, they're like, if you get us the plastic, we definitely would take it. We could pay you for it. So, you know, trying to put those two or trying to put that business together, it, it was possible. The only thing is paralysis doesn't really work very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of was, had a big future and didn't make much of a splash. And so, the, so it, it was kind of based on a similar concept. I talked to Clemson about paralysis and they were like, oh, there's another company down like somewhere in the state that wanted to start something too that you could link up with, but no one could really seemingly get that going, and so the problem became, yeah, what do you do with the plastic? I mean, realistically, when you have a like a, any sort of a waste item, you've got a massive amount of supply, and so any solution has to also keep up with the supply. Right. It's like I mean, it is nice that you know you can take old plastic and turn it into lampshades. But realistically, you can only sell so many lampshades. Right. You, know, you really want a solution that's as scalable as the problem itself. And with plastic, that's just so difficult mm-hmm. um, that I really couldn't come up with anything. The, the It was like my answer at the end of three years looking into it was just use less plastic.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that yeah. really
1: is like it's as simple as that. Yeah. Try not to use as much plastic.
0: And the paralysis, is that because the equipment to do that is so expensive?
1: No, I think it's well that's yeah it's definitely cost uh cost intensive on that front, but with paralysis as well, they had said that you can use like various grades and and the plastic didn't have to be all that clean, but I think they mm-hmm. found out down the road that that wasn't the case and gotcha. uh you know plastic is tough a lot of times it does get heavily contaminated mm-hmm. mixed with food and beverages and other things like that, which can make it difficult. But yeah, I mean, I, I think they just really couldn't get the type of raw material they needed to really make it work. Plus, there's a lot of government regulation around creating oil. Mm. So that's a pretty steep mountain to climb, especially when you're competing with the likes of like larger companies like Exxon and Shell. And so, uh, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe down the road, but I'm...
0: Yeah. You know. And, and uh, this is kind of jumping ahead in, in some of my questions, but you said use less plastic, right? <laughs> it's like a yeah. solution. How, How? like in your mind, how do we start using less plastic? How does someone who's listening use less plastic? Because I'm sure they're going, literally everything I buy almost comes in plastic.
1: Yeah, I think it's just some habit changes. I mean, there are definitely ways. I mean, you know, you think about a lot of people, how many, re- how many shopping bags people go through in Greenville, right. just bringing a reusable shopping bag, having it in your car goes a long way. I personally am a day-to-day shopper, so I don't buy anything that I can't carry out of the store with my hands. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of the way I keep myself in check. You know, you could do, it's, it's a lot of just small things too. I mean, a lot of people like between water bottles, uh, things like that, your Gatorades or whatever you're getting from the from the gas station, you know, that, that's definitely harder for me. I tr- I just have a, a metal container that I bring around with me that's got water in it. So I try to cut back on that front. I guess probably the most logical way to go about it is trying to recognize where you're using the most plastic just in mm-hmm. general and trying to cut back on that. You know, but I mean, there are options and you go to the grocery store and I mean, you can buy pretty much all your vegetables.
0: Right without plastic. Yep.
1: I mean, and they have the plastic bag. You're going to put it in that, but I mean, you're going to wash it anyway. So, well, hopefully you do. You know, it's just not really necessary. But then, I mean... There's some nice places in Greenville now. Well, like the Swamp Urban Cafe, mm-hmm. that's sourced kind of organically. So you're also saving probably on some fuel costs there uh, just in terms of, like, carbon emissions. So that's always good. And then there's also this business that started, I want to say maybe two years ago, called uh, Amend Market over in Nickel Town. Okay. And Kendall does a great job. She's got... um it's just a refill store. So she buys everything in bulk. And so you can take your cleaners and shampoos and and maybe even toothpaste now and go over there and big glass containers and you just fill up your reusable container. And so that's, you know, there are definitely, if Greenville's got options, there's definitely options out there.
0: Yeah. It, and I I think combating the like convenience factor where people like to go yeah. to... Walmart, get everything across the board and not have to stop anywhere else. And that's like the the pushback that I feel like I hear the most like, well, yeah, I could do those things. But then that's like five stops instead of one. In yep. my mind, that's community. Like that's how you meet people. That's how you like engage. Yep. So I don't mind doing that. But how, I guess, how do we retrain people's ba- brains into like, it's not that inconvenient to Go to a refill station versus ordering it on Amazon or going to Walmart.
1: To be honest, I don't have a good explanation for that. Yeah, operating a, a recycling business, it's interesting how quickly political things can get. Mm. And so for me, I always just offer things as like take it or leave it solutions if yeah. you don't if that doesn't suit you, yeah. and if thinking about it makes you angry. Then don't worry about it. Yeah. You know, it's just for me, yeah. you know, we have a very unique, because I mean, it is kind of like, all right, so like trying to change hearts and minds or educate people is still what I would consider to be sales. And when it comes to things that people feel quite passionately about, just from my experience, there's not a whole lot you're going to be able to mm. to do there. They're pretty well dug in. I think probably the best way to go about it was, you know, if these small businesses like Kindle and stuff, when you meet the business owners and realize what they're doing, yeah. um, you know, establishing those human connections is probably an easier way to go about it. Putting a face to mm-hmm. an organization, you know, because people like to support their friends and, you know, uh, and um, I think most people across the board like to support small businesses. But you know, when it comes down to the dollars you have in your pocket and the convenience and your time, I don't think Walmart's going anywhere anytime soon. Right, people <laughs> you know, right. It's just, it is what it is.
0: Take us, let's back up now a little bit and talk to us about the actual process of you have the glass. And you're pulverizing it into sand. Talk to us a little about the equipment involved in that. Um, and I'm sure there's a hefty price tag on some of those uh, yeah. pieces of equipment you're utilizing.
1: Yeah. Getting into manufacturing is not a cheap endeavor. But re- really, so we have we have three machines. One is a small uh, hand-fed glass pulverizer. Mm-hmm. So it's basically got almost like a chimney on top, you could say. And it's just one bottle at a time, which is... Not very efficient, um, right. but it'll get you, get you off the ground. So we have one of those. Um, and it has just an internal chamber of hammers that uh, pulverize the glass instantly into like a, I think it's a five-gallon bucket. It's a five-gallon bucket. Uh, and then we have a bigger machine that does, if you just constantly fed it, that'll do about 600 pounds an hour. Mm-hmm. Then we have a bigger machine that does um, 2,000 pounds an hour that we feed with a tractor and that has mm-hmm. a kind of a hopper on the front and a conveyor and then it's got also a uh, hammer set and then in that there's two sifters built in that you Mm -hmm. can change the screen so you can get various sizes and then it has uh two different outputs for like bottle caps and things like that so that's kind of our main machine that was 75 grand and took a long time to get in but it's been the days of operating the hand one by one i never thought i'd see the day that we actually had something that you could just kind of turn on and feed bulk and so that's been fantastic and uh, and then we have a, I don't know what kind of sifter you even call it, a drum sifter maybe? There's a certain name for it, I've forgotten. But it's basically a big cylinder uh, mm. with various levels in it. And so you feed aggregate in the top and then it has, uh, I want to say five outputs. So you can get anything from like what most people would consider to be like a beach sand to um, sandblasting sand to um, almost like a fine white uh, powder sure. uh, that could be used for like sandblasting, more like polishing and things like that.
0: I was going to ask you about that. What are the industries buying sand from you or who are the individuals buying sand from you? Um, What are you seeing as your biggest customer?
1: So right now, we've done a little bit at the Swamp Rabbit Cafe, um, done a little bit with Greenville County uh, for their parks, I guess, parks and rec department. A lot of it's gone back to our customer base for home projects, substrate, you know, people doing just Mm. all sorts of home projects, uh, fire pits, uh, retaining walls people put sand out in their yard to like level it out. Mm, sure. Uh, that was actually new to me. So it's a lot of it's gone back. Right now we're, you know, our volumes have been low enough, you know, like five tons a month to where, even if you're selling to like a landscaping yard, you're talking 15 ton, like 10 to right. 15 tons a drop. So our volumes have definitely limited our ability to Set grow into the mass. market. Mm. But now we're approaching 10 tons a month. And that's still like next to nothing in mm. the grand scheme of things. But we've got contracts online with uh Bridge Brothers who did the they did like a natu- national uh, pe- te- uh pedestrian footbridge company okay. so they did the bridges for like the swamp Rapid trail sure and uh the bridges in Unity Park so sandblasting sand for them and the mm-hmm. nice thing too there is once they start using our product we can actually recover the sand shift it again and then reuse it wow so that's yeah. a plus also uh company Southern Painting in Piedmont um they're a very large southeastern painting operation mm-hmm. and so sandblasting sand there And we're looking at getting into like water filtration for pools. So um, glass aggregate, uh, you can actually use less because they use sand a lot of times, especially in these big commercial pools, a couple hundred pounds. And so uh, if you substitute the sand for glass, you actually you can use less product and it lasts significantly longer than the sand. And it actually helps uh, improve the clarity of the water. So it's you know, Another thing we're trying to get into, and I think down the road, the silver bullet solution is we can make glass colored, which is like rock. And so getting a laser sorting uh, machine, separating it by color, and then selling that back to um, a glass manufacturer to just get it remade into a bottle.
0: When I knew the concept was turning it into sand... I was like, oh, that makes sense. Like, even just from a da- disaster preparation standpoint of sandbags, like, that's where my mind went. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think of all the other... And when you said sandblasting, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's, hu- that's huge market.
1: It's a massive market. Yeah. yeah, I
0: didn't even think about that. We have
1: demand... Between these two companies, we have about uh, 60 to 70 tons a month in demand, and we're only producing 10. Wow. And so... And that's just that's not us even really trying. That's just people calling and saying, hey, can you do this? And they're like, well, not yet, but we can do partials. And they're like, okay, we'll take partials."
0: How do you grow now? Like, how do you double? You mentioned you're, you're almost to 10 tons from yep. five. How long did it take to double that production?
1: Uh, not long. You know, I think we were in business for about three years when we got the new machine in and we doubled it at about... Seven months, mm. six months, something like that. Not long. Our, our biggest... We've had so many constraints because getting in this business is just... It's so cost intensive on the manufacturing yeah. end that it's like you either you don't have the money for the trucks to pick up things or you don't have the commercial truck that has the arm that can pick up, you know, a standard bin. So you got to do it by hand and you can only do so many of those. Right. And so and then, well, so you get more glass, which is easy enough, but then you don't have the ability to process it quickly enough. And so it's like constantly making these two, like finding synergies between these two businesses to where they can grow at like a more hand in hand measured, uh, measured pace and not have one balloon out while the other one's still constrained. But yeah, I mean, I think trying to get more glass, we're we're now getting more into commercial. So Mm. we're picking up more like restaurant groups and things like that. Looking in the hotels around here, we've had Mm. some interest from, so those are going to be, you know, just more glass in one place, which is nice. And then, um, there's also some manufacturing companies that are popping up around the area that uh, have reached out to us about taking their um, like glass waste, basically, like mm-hmm. and the manufacturing process, all the off cuts and everything else, stuff that breaks. So if we want to ramp it, we can. Then the then the next constraint is well, then we need more space, and so we've got to right. expand the facility, and that's another check. And it's just you know, but I mean, we're getting there. We're definitely yeah. it's it's growing.
0: And I think what's unique about your business, well, I mean, because like you said, usually these are two separate businesses that you're combining into one. So you have front-end revenue as far as picking up the glass and the subscriptions for that or what you're charging commercially to pick it up. And then on the back end, selling the sand. How easy was it, or hard was it, I guess, to get people to buy into a subscription to come pick up their glass?
1: It's not been really that, hard, to be honest. You know, I mean, the the important thing is, is that that subscription revenue has really carried the business because Mm -hmm. the sand sales have been existent. But when you're just producing generic sand, like if we were to sell sand to Ace Hardware right now, they'd pay us 10 bucks a ton, -hmm. which is like nothing. right? And so it's important that that revenue comes in to keep the business growing. And that's what's really uh, carried us here uh, initially. As far as getting the people on board, it's, it's one of those things we talked about sales. Either people are for it or they don't want anything to do with it. And so it's just really word of mouth has been fantastic. I remember uh, when I was, I had a part-time job bartending. And when we first launched the business, just put an ad on next door and we had seven people sign up right away. And my thought was, I was like, oh shit, I've got to do this now.
0: Yeah, yeah <laughs> like yeah. You know, it's
1: kind of like, here's your new life. Yeah, And, uh, you know, I thought about it for all these years and I was like, okay, now I'm obligated to people. But it's, it's not been hard. It's just the sales, the sales process is one of those things. We're not pushy about it. Mm-hmm. Just put information out there. If, if you don't like it, fine. But I think one of the things that's helped us is, you know, again, the two businesses being kind of combined in that we can show the whole supply chain yeah. here locally, which is kind of a unique thing for people. There's not a lot of recycling companies that are able to do that. right? Um, and so I think that's also kind of helped... Uh, you know kind of connect us in the community because it definitely is more uh, local and tangible and i think a lot of people i've kind of realized people are starting to sign up it's it's perceived a little bit more as not just a recycling company mm-hmm. but more of like an environmentally beneficial tool that sure. you can participate in to have a desired effect mhm and so sometimes i feel like we don't even compete with recycling companies because our model is just different
0: yeah well and there is no glass recycling around here though is there
1: uh, Not no. unless
0: you drive out of Greenville. Pickens
1: Pickens uh, accepts glass, but they've really cracked down on uh, being a Pickens County resident mm-hmm. and they don't accept it everywhere. The thing is they lose money on it. So the more people that try and piggyback on it, kind of the worse it gets. Right. It's yeah. Well, I, it,
0: well yeah. I never drove to Pickens and recycled my glass. So. Yeah, <laughs> some people do, but they've got. <laughs> no, <I> did, <laughs> did
1: you, yeah. They've got um. <laughs> but sticker. if they're
0: looking for me, it wasn't me.
1: Yeah, they've got <laughs> stickers now on uh the windshields. They don't check them all the time, but they will. But yeah, I mean, it's one of those things. So many people lose money on the recycling front that when people piggyback on it, it it can really compound.
0: Yeah, uh, it seems a like problem. there's there is a way to make money though with glass. So why is glass the one? That's not being recycled.
1: Uh, It's because the way the U.S. generally recycles. So back, I want to say it's like the 80s or so, they, I think it was Republic Services, one of the biggest, Waste companies in the country decided that single stream recycling was going to be the way to go Mm. easier for consumers. We're going to get more products. So everybody throws everything into one bin and then we ship it to a uh, they call them MRFs material recovery facilities and then they'll separate it out. Okay. And so that's been the model from what I've been able to find is it didn't really uh, accelerate collection rates that much. And Republic Services has come out in the last couple of years and said it was definitely uh, a mistake. The problem with that model, and we're kind of locked into it now, is I like, hear everything goes to a Murph and Duncan uh, at mm-hmm. Pratt Industries. So pretty much everything collected in the upstate, especially Greenville, goes there. <clears throat> they have to separate it all back out. Well, glass breaks. It's heavy. It gets stuck in the more profitable materials like the aluminum and the cardboard, mm-hmm. which just makes them have to landfill that. And plus, there was not there was only one glass recycling plant around here, from what I understand, in Packlet, kind of outside of Spartanburg. And there was a downturn in the market. They closed. And so it was like, even if they could separate it, there wasn't really any place to sell it because there's not been a lot of innovation in glass. And so it just made more sense for them to just get rid of it. But since they don't take it, no one around here does anything with it. The best option, like Pickens, has to ship it off to um, Atlanta, which is expensive. Right. It's very expensive to do that.
0: How replicable is your business model? Is this something that you just want to keep doing in the upstate and grow Or is this something that you could go, hey, we've reached however many tons, your goal ton is a month, now let's replicate this, uh, you know, in the low country, or let's replicate this in North Carolina or out west, or you mentioned you had thought about doing this in Denver originally.
1: Yeah, Uh, we plan on franchising it. I think the first couple iterations won't be franchised, they'll still be kind of underneath the same management umbrella, just to kind of solidify the model. What it takes to replicate it mm-hmm. before we kind of package it up and and sell it off, but I think there's a tremendous amount of opportunity uh for glass recycling just because it seems to constantly be going by the wayside across the u s it's it's the first material to get cut and still recycling is is the whole market still in in flux so that that provides a lot of market opportunity It's also just kind of the the growing mindset in this country of uh more people are you know choosing to kind of mm-hmm. approach <clears throat> sustainability so that's definitely going to help us out. It's also one thing I'm hedging on is the world only has, so the world's experiencing a sand shortage, which is one of the main materials going into glass. And so there's also kind of a practical side of it of like, well, how long can we keep just landfilling something Mm. that is uh, indefinitely recyclable? Also glass being a logical substitute for single use plastic. Mm -hmm. um, It's becoming lighter, uh, more durable. Um, so I think there's, you know, again, all these factors kind of combine to I really think whether the government mandates it, uh, recycling, and they are choosing companies that can help pro- uh, kind of propagate that. Um, but I do think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of opportunity there, especially in the southeast. Mm-hmm. So many people from around uh, the country and more sustainable areas and Europeans for manufacturing all moving into this area. And there's just not a lot of green infrastructure. And so right. I think that really this, this part of the world has a lot of potential to operate, to house businesses like this, whether they're, you know, uh, large regional companies or more just, um, local, uh, entities mm-hmm. operating in smaller cities.
0: Yeah. Yeah kind of going back to the beginning of our conversation, when you were putting together this business plan and you looked at it and said, yeah, I'm going to do this. I can make it work. You came back to the upstate. You mentioned you had that meeting with that entrepreneur that was like, Mm. this isn't going to work. And then you decided to do it. How did you then get it off the ground? Like, how did you find the funding? How did you, what was the next step?
1: So there's always like, you know, there's an infinite amount of paths to get to where you want to go. But the one that you know, I, I always had scalability in mind. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's going to be capital. um, It's going to be investors. I just didn't know exactly how. But we were fortunate enough. Like, I knew about business accelerators. Mm-hmm. And so um, I had applied to some in the past, just in the idea stage, just like cheeky applications, you know, get a few sure. meetings, get some feedback, you know. But within probably two months of us having started here... Um, I got into an accelerator in Seattle called Fledge and they invest in uh, like conscious companies. So companies that are beneficial for community and the environment and things like that. And so that was a massive leg up. Um, Mm -hmm. We beat out, uh, we were one of eight companies that got in that year out of like 800 that applied Mm from around the world. So it was like, and then we got a nice check out of it, which helped then COVID hit. So I couldn't go out and everything was online. So that was a kind of a downside, but Still, access to that network um, and then access to their investors afterwards has really been the gift that keeps on mm, giving. A mm-hmm. um, lot of good guidance. Uh, some of our – we did as a company that started here in Greenville a few years back called Vicinity Capital. Yeah, Josh and uh, John are fantastic people. And so we were one of their first companies that did a raise here. And so we had some of our lead investors through Fledge um, invest and mm-hmm. then uh, had uh, the raise here as well. And so those two things really helped. Um, also, you know, you try to look at grants, but um, so at, uh, SCRA, South Carolina Research Authority, they're kind of like this nonprofit that operates with the state to help direct state funds into high impact companies. Okay. And so we pitched them about a year and a half ago, and and were accepted. And so we got some grants. The hard part's getting accepted. Once you get accepted, uh, you can get some grants fairly easily. So that was um, quite a bit of capital as well for just trucks and machinery and. Mm-hmm marketing budgets. Those are probably the big things. And then we're a next company too. And that's just helped with some networking. It's not really led to any cash. But you know, the hard thing is, is when you're trying to find capital being stuck, even in a town like Greenville, trying to have your idea stand out and not realizing, you know, there there is a like anything, a pattern to, to things, even if you're not aware of what that pattern is. But it's like, I'd come up and talk to people and I'm like, all right, well, I've got this idea and it's working. Yeah. And like, I know you invest in things, but it's like the conversation never really went anywhere. And it's like, well, I didn't have the documents that I needed together that this person knows that I need. But if I'm not bringing it up, they're just like, well, you know, this is another idea. Yeah. And so kind of understanding what investors look for uh, and then how you structure yourself accordingly is is very... Beneficial.
0: It sounds like there was a lot of legwork as far as the idea, the paperwork, the writing, the really learning how to express your idea to then generate that capital capital. Are, were you doing that all on your own? Did you have mentors that were helping you? Do you have other staff that was helping you? Because uh, that's a yeah. lot of just, that can become defeating too when you're like, oh my gosh, I have to write another grant application or I have to redo my pitch again or, you know, whatever it may be That that can seem, I mean, it is time consuming.
1: Yeah, it's not been hard to do once you know what you need to do. Gotcha. The hard part was finding out what I need to do and how to present it. I feel like once you climb that that mountain, if you're going to raise capital and you don't know what pro forma projections are, right? like, that's a huge part of it, right? Yeah. Know that. Project your income month by month for the next three years. Project year by year, or maybe month by month for the next year, and then year by year for the next three to five, something like that. Right. And in detail. But it's yeah. like, you know, these little things like that. And it's like, so, yes, that did take a while to put together, but it took longer finding out that that's what I needed to do to to really start to market things or like, you know, what a pitch deck should look like. Cause I mean, people do business plans, but I feel like nowadays so much of it is just 12 slides right? straight to the point, you know, you can yeah. put your projections and some finance in there, but it's always curtailed to a very specific crowd that cares about the very specific thing and, uh, and making, you know, just mm-hmm. having that looking nice and having the right things in there and being researched enough to where whoever you're pitching to, you know exactly what they're going to want to see. Right. So I've probably got 20 or 30 different variations of pitch decks. Yeah. I never reuse one, you know, twice, basically. They all get kind of changed out. But yeah, once you once you figure that out, uh, it becomes a lot easier. I mean, you still got to put the time in, but it's, the guesswork takes a long, long time unless yeah. somebody can just iron that out for you.
0: I think um, that's such a a big thing that young entrepreneurs or people with ideas like get caught up like the first no or the first, like you mentioned, you have all these different pitch decks. Some people Mm. are like, "I, I don't, that's, that's too much work, but you just have to do it.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, a lot of it does come down to, you just have to do it. Some days are better than others. You know, I find very rarely do you ever, you always have these big success, targets out there and you're like if mm-hmm. I hit this yeah. I'm going to Tahiti you know yeah. <laughs> like and you rarely yeah. ever hit it you might hit one every yeah. like two years or something like that and it wasn't and it's not even like you hit it it was more of a glancing blow <laughs> like right. it's like it never quite goes that way but and so there's a lot of you know a lot of days are just kind of fairly mundane but you know I've tell myself sometimes success on a, on a daily basis is just putting one foot in front of the other mm. as long mm-hmm. as you just kept going you know that's better than a lot of people
0: Do you ever want to expand into plastics or another recycling, or are you going to focus bricolage just around glass?
1: I thought about going into other recyclables. Plastics to me is just, I don't, I just don't see it. I've researched it for Mm -hmm. years now and I I don't really, I just think it should be very limited in its use for uh, medical purposes and just very key things. Um, So I don't know about that. Uh, I think our future is going to be more in. So I blanket everything we do into recycling innovation, and mm-hmm. I've got some ideas for tech and to help kind of streamline processes. Um, you know, saving money on the supply chain end. Basically, things that I see we could use that I would like to start to implement. And I know that if we can use them, other companies can use different solutions like this. Mm-hmm. And so, kind of getting the IP around these things, licensing them to uh, you know cities and towns, regardless of what they're recycling, just right. as ways to help make it more efficient, uh, maybe increase profitability for them and uh, increase their recycling rates. So I think we're probably going to, you know, maybe the next five years or so, make a push toward that that kind of efficiency.
0: Have you had any, um, and maybe you can't speak to this, but have you had, had any conversations with uh, Greenville County, the government, about recycling or how bricolage can be a part of that or offer additional guidance?
1: Berkeley County, at Charleston had reached out at one point about us doing some consulting for them, but I don't think it ever really went anywhere. Also, Lexington. I don't know if it's Lexington County out there outside of Columbia. I don't know. It okay. might be Lexington County. That
0: sounds right. They've yeah.
1: reached out about wanting to do um, some some work together and trying to pave a partnership. I actually should probably get back to them now that I think about it. <laughs> uh, as far as Greenville County, we've done some stuff with the sand sales, but never not as far as the local stuff goes, nothing on the front of like, mm-hmm. how do we improve it? Uh, we've started talking with the city about a month ago, and we recycled some of their glass from Artisphere and uh, Jazz yeah. Fest. yeah. And so we're kind of in that getting to know you stage where part of it is their processes with a single stream stuff, everything going into one bin, that leads to a lot of contamination. Our glass is really clean. So we we don't have to sort anything. We don't make these trips to the landfill to get rid of all the extra plastic and cardboard and everything they throw in. And so we're kind of in this getting to know you stage of trying to line up their practices with our practices and making sure that the material is, in fact, just glass and clean enough to where we can... Kind do, of do business. And so I'm a, a little hesitant to roll out something like for Fall uh, for Greenville where we just do all the glass. Right. Um, so I've kind of proposed to Greenville about doing more small batch pilots just over the next year. Just so we can kind of, you know, again, take that measured approach and figure out what's working, what's not working. Do we need a volunteer? Or if we do, where's the volunteer going to come from to monitor the bin? Stuff like that. But I mean, we're definitely moving in that direction. Yeah. Just that a lot of cities are kind of hamstrung by their current processes. Sure. Um, it's not easy for them to pivot because the budget's not there. They're probably losing money on it anyway. So there's not mm-hmm. a lot of money to invest in much. And they don't really have anywhere to take the materials with them being all mixed together apart from Pratt. So it's like Pratt kind of locks them into their, their current state. And like, I I honestly kind of feel bad for a lot of municipalities because it's not the fact that they don't want to do a better job. It's they're really stuck between a rock and a hard place. And, you know, if they try to raise here, like they tried to raise taxes for um, recycling and it's, you know, year to year been voted down to where they don't even bother anymore.
0: Right.
1: And you're talking about like 50 cents, small, Increments, but um, it makes it very hard for them to do right a good job.
0: If if all of a sudden you got a you know high demand from across the street uh, across the state for glass recycling, how quickly could you grow your operation? What would it take?
1: Take a lot more money.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We the demand is there. Part of the problem with raising money is how much of the business do you want to sell? Mm-hmm. So. That's always something you have to kind of keep in mind. You know, it's like when you grow, you're always pretty... I mean, unless you're making an immense amount of organic profit, mm-hmm. if you want to grow quickly, you're going to have to take out either a loan, which interest rates right now are through the roof, right? and it's not going to be nearly enough money, or you're going to have to find private investors to inject cash, and their terms are going to be...
0: Equity.
1: Yeah, probably yeah. equity. Maybe some revenue share type stuff, but but equity. And so, yeah, you just have to always kind of try to line up your goals and as well as what your potential market growth could be. Yeah. What your potential market growth could be with your own ideas and ideals and trying to match those, I guess. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's definitely money out there. The problem right now with raising money for anybody who wants to raise money is there's just a lot of market uncertainty right now. People are keeping money a lot closer to the chest. Interest rates being high. Um, you know, people aren't even investing in the stock market as much, let alone small businesses. Right. You know, the tech industry has taken a beating and they run off of, uh, capital injections. And yeah. so a lot of those have dried up I think you know, we'll be around when the time comes if we want to, if we, we can, yeah. but even if I just think now's not a great time, mm-hmm. but it's certainly possible.
0: Are you in a position where your, your revenue or your cash flow is enough to be setting aside for future growth?
1: Yeah, not at the moment, but it should be in the next, I'm thinking four months. We'll definitely up that. It's just everything is so expensive. You know, like a, this new commercial truck we want is an easy hundred grand. Right. And then the conveyor systems and vacuum systems we need to really pump out sand is gonna be, you know, I mean, that could easily be another thirty grand. And so it just, it takes a while to, to kind of save up for this kind of stuff, especially when you look at employee costs and, you know, the easiest way to do it is just to raise money, Yeah, you know, raise money, spend it quick. <laughs> um, but then too, it's like, you know, raising money, you're probably going to be paying a higher price for equity nowadays. And just because I feel like pe- the, the investors would be inherently taking on more risk right. as well as buying these uh, different machines and things like that, you're pretty much buying them at... An absolute premium at this point, too. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of getting stuck on both ends a little bit there.
0: How many vendors because I'm just curious, are there to buy some of this equipment that you need from? Like, is it a where you can actually go out and shop different pulverizers, or is there like two or three main companies where they're just yeah. in competition? So the price difference may not be that different.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. To bring that up. That's a it's a so there's basically one in the US uh and wow. products they operate out of upstate new york and they make phenomenal machines but uh definitely a, a higher price tag there's one somewhere in the midwest but their products are not i've not heard good things mm-hmm. and dela's basically it in the united states then you have expleco out of new zealand and they've been making uh pulverizers for quite some time and they usually you see expleco machines are the smaller machines Andela uh-huh. typically does the bigger machines it's a fantastic, like I've been saying for a while, like if you start making these machines, you could make a killing. Yeah. It's just you just need the operation. They're not too terribly complicated. Yeah, it definitely makes it hard. to. Use. You're not shopping around right. so much. I mean, if we're buying products, it's going to be Andela products. Yeah. Um, Conveyor systems, glass breaking machines, glass crushers, pulverizers. I mean, they do the whole thing. I do think that that's going to change down the road. I think there'll be more businesses that kind of get into mm-hmm. that that space.
0: What keeps you going? Because it sounds hard, right? It is hard. And it's hard for any entrepreneur, but it's one thing to open a food truck, right? Like you get the food truck, you you know, you, you make your food and you sell it. And like there's yeah. maybe you grow to another food truck, but really it's just... There's not all these additional complicated pieces like you put your that big capital out to get the truck and then everything from that is like you sell, you know, you buy what you sell and and you and you turn it over. But this seems to be there's all these potential roadblocks. Like you mentioned, if you try to do another capital raise, you're giving out more equity. So now, you know, how much of your company do you want to own at the end of the day? And there just seems to be a lot of roadblocks. What keeps you going? Why keep doing it? Why not just go, I'm not going to grow anymore. I'm going to stay right here. And yeah. we'll just, you know, do what we're doing. And and hopefully it works long term in the upstate.
1: Yeah, I guess, like anything, it's multifaceted. And one, I mean, it, it's kind of like, I always, when I was a kid, I loved like business games and stuff like that. Okay, <laughs> And yeah. so for me, there's like a certain aspect of that, uh-huh. like SimCity stuff. I just, I've always really enjoyed pulling the pieces together. Mm-hmm. I think part of it too is, you know, know, knowing yourself, you know, when people work, they, people work for different reasons. People work sometimes just strictly for the monetary gain. Mm-hmm. Other people like to uh, achieve, you know, um, measured success. Um, for me, I definitely like my work to be valued. And so I never really got that in the nine to five world. Yeah. Um, Cause it's so easy just to be a cog in a wheel. Yeah. At really any level. And so, that started to irritate me to the point where I'm like, well, if I think I'm good enough to be valued, I might as well just do it myself. So there's that. Um, There's also the practical side of I just really hate working for people. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm going to have to figure out something to do for the next, I don't know, let's say 30 or 40 years. Yeah. So I hate working for people to an extent that there's nothing I come across in my day-to-day basis that bothers me on that same level. Wow. (laughs) I I really, really, really dislike it. So that's a pretty big motivator.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And two, you know, I mean, it's not you find success every day. I mean, it's funny when you sit there and you look back about where you started versus where you are now. You've covered a lot of ground. But, I mean, I've got a good day-to-day life. I always talk about, you know, I don't make a ton of money. So it's not like, you know, we don't really go on vacations. But I like to go hiking. I like to go Mm -hmm. up to the mountains. It's like for me, every day is Friday. You know, I work Sundays, Saturdays. But I never am not looking forward to the next day which is that's excellent. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, I stay up till 11 doing some work, that's fine. But if I want to sleep until 10, I can sleep until 10 as well. Like it's just, right. there's a flexibility there. And that to me adds a lot more satisfaction to my life than any vacation that I've ever taken. Granted, I'd love to take a vacation and like get back on the road, but I think all those factors combined, I've got a great life. Yeah. Yeah. And so the work yeah. just doesn't really feel like work.
0: Yeah. I love that. One question I ask all my guests to kind of wrap up the episode is if you could sit down with one person and have a conversation like we had today, and that person could be living or dead, who would you like to sit down with?
1: I feel like it would have to be somebody who's unconventionally accomplished. I guess, I mean, I don't know, in business, I feel like everybody wants to meet like Jeff Bezos and all these people, but I feel like that'd be boring. (laughs) Yeah. It's funny, uh, just from the conversations that I've been having recently it's not really one person, but the people that I want to really sit down and meet more uh-huh. are um, medical professionals, doctors, heads of hospitals.
0: Interesting. Why?
1: Just because it's such an interesting, you know, it's the the, the hospital field has become such a business, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm just really interested in how that works. Um, also the networking aspect, I feel like I could meet the president of the United States easier than I could meet a doctor, to be honest. Right. It's like, you know, like it's, you know, not to go off on a tangent, but, uh, you know, as far as developing a network goes, and it's nice to have people on your phone, you can call these business owners and people and call a lawyer, call people. I'm like, man, how nice would it be to have like, oh, i got my, like my GP and like, we're good friends. We go out for coffee and we drink beer together. So I'm just going to call him. Hey, I got this problem. You mind just like consult me over the phone. Just the practicality of it would be yeah. nice. Also, just to kind of understand more about, you know, one job satisfaction, how that whole thing works. I would like to know more about the people that are running these organizations and if they, you know, started out as doctors or if they just got admin degrees. Again, not to go on a tangent, but I've (laughs) like I feel like it's not anybody. It's nothing that I can't. Yeah, it's not going to be like a Nelson Mandela or something like that. I just feel like it'd be way more practical to meet. uh, That's that's medical professionals. I would love down the road, it's like any networking, it's so nice to be able to call somebody and just talk to the owner and not have to go to the front desk. Right. I feel like hospitals are like this fortress of just inefficiency. And like, mm-hmm. you have to go, like, I know I've got an ear problem because my ear is bleeding. Well, why don't you go to your GP first and they'll, they'll recommend you. It's like, I don't want to pay them. My ear is bleeding. You yeah. Know? <laughs> and it's like, I just want to know the people and just call them directly. Right. Be able to have a genuine conversation and get there. So I think- yeah, mine's probably a little bit more pragmatic.
0: I no, I love that. So, doctor, if there's any doctors or healthcare professionals, call me. <laughs> call call Seth, me. I have a ton of questions. He's going to call me and we'll get you on the podcast if you're yeah. willing to talk to us. <laughs> I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing. I, I, I really, what I really like about this episode is we kind of got more into almost the business side of what you're doing, um, which I think is super helpful because I think a lot of people don't understand recycling and the business that can be. Bu- Behind recycling, period. So yeah. I think that was super helpful. I really appreciate you. Yeah, thanks taking for, the time thanks for out. having me. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for being a listener of Conversation Mill. The podcast is growing, but we need your continued support in the form of comments, likes, and subscriptions. If you've enjoyed even one episode, please take two minutes to comment under the episode or the podcast itself or rate the podcast. Hitting the subscribe button wherever you listen to the podcast helps tremendously. Every like and subscribe helps me support local businesses and local nonprofits by giving them a platform to tell their stories. Together, we can foster the understanding, diversity, and economies that make our individual communities flourish while creating our own community here at Conversation Mill. Also, you can join us at conversationmill.substack.com where you can become a member and receive weekly member-only content, including member-only episodes. I look forward to sharing a new conversation with you next week. And as always, thank you for your support.